starting in verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself? Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law." Father God, we just thank you for your word, Lord. God, we just pray you would humble our hearts this morning, Lord. Make us, as Jackie said, fertile soil, Lord. We just pray for your spirit, Lord. If it has to break into us, Lord, that it would break in and just penetrate us with your word, Lord. And we we pray for Jackie, Lord, that your spirit would anoint his words, Lord, and uh, just give us understanding, Lord. God, I just thank you for your sovereignty and your perfect timing, Lord, as this passage will speak to each one of us, Lord. We just lift this service up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, God's good, isn't he? And all the time, you guys are so good. So impressed. As we continue our journey through the book of Romans, we find ourselves in the, in the practical part of the epistle. We, we've worked our way through the beginning. Remember, the, the, the concept of the whole book is the principles of the righteousness of God. That's the... That's the, the the main subject that Paul's discussing. And in the principles of the righteousness of God, there were several things in the first eight chapters that he lays out for us. The one, that we're all broken, right? We all stand condemned before God. But God, in the miracle of justification, has provided a way that you and I can be remade. That He can come into our life and begin to repair the damage in our life. And as He does so... We are justified. We are made holy in God's sight. By faith in Jesus Christ, He justifies me. But He doesn't stop there. Because the rest of the chapters in the beginning of the book of Romans tells us not only does He justify us, He sanctifies us by His presence within us. He makes us holy. He glorifies us, a future opportunity when when we see Jesus face to face, when we're not going to battle with sin no more? When the, aren't you going to be happy when that war is over? Yeah. I'm going to be happy when that war is over. We're going to be glorified with Him. We find security in, in chapter 8. It begins with, there is now therefore no condemnation. And it ends with nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So He lays out all those things, part of the principles of the righteousness of God. But then He moves into some of the problem areas. The problem areas. Remember the rejection of Israel? 
the corporate election of the nation we saw in in Romans chapter 9. We saw the rejection of Israel and the receiving of the Gentiles. And we look forward to that moment when Israel is going to be restored. When there will be a restoration of the nation of Israel. Because God's going to keep His promises. So when we come to the end of chapter 11, we're thinking, man, this is great news. We have the miracle of salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification, security in Christ Jesus. We know He's going to keep His promises because of Romans 9, 10, and 11. We know that God is able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. It's exciting news. And then we come to 12. And from 12 on to the end of the book, He says, then this is how you should live. So... 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 is going to kind of close out and wrap it all up. As we work our way through those, it's very practical things. And this is what a dedicated life to Jesus Christ looks like. So, so you know, before you, you spend any time pointing any fingers out in the world, read Romans 12 and point a lot of those at you. Romans 12. Lays out for us how we are to be dedicated to Christ. To live for the Lord. Then it went on to tell us about loving. Right? How we are to express the love of God in our life. And, and that expression is, is uh, challenging to say the least. What he's calling us to. And as we come now to chapter 13. He's, he's calling us now how do we live as under God's law. And I don't want you to get confused with what he's talking about with God's law. Uh, I, I think he is absolutely speaking about the law that we have in the Word. But it's, it's more than that. He's talking to us about everything God's asked us to do. And he's going to bring that out really well in the, in the first verse of Romans 13. How should we act, you and I, we should be living fully dedicated to the Lord. We should have the love of God flowing through our lives. We talked about that in chapter 12. But what is the, the big point in chapter 13? It's a word in the United States nobody likes. Submission. You guys like that word? How about this one? It's even better. Subjection. You like that one? Because that's the attitude of the body of Christ according to the Lord. And the challenge he gives in verse 1 is intense. Intense. As we look at, at verse 1, let's just slow it down a little bit and take a look at the law of God. Our relationship to the law of God, His commandments. He begins in the first five verses with our subjection to the law. Let's look. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. How do you like that? <laughs> Here's the good news. Whether... Whether you like it or not, it's not going to change. <laughs> no matter how much we look at it, it's not going to change. What's He call us to? He calls us, all of us, let every soul. You can't get more inclusive than that. There's no, there's nobody who's outside of that group. As the Lord is not saying, everybody but Jackie has to be in subjection. Nope, He's saying, everybody. And it's really, to be honest, one of the areas where we find in our lives where we see that rebellious spirit inside of us. Because especially in the United States, other places, they don't know no different. Other places never had the freedoms that we enjoy here. And so they don't understand. They don't have that battle. I know a lot of times people take um, 
pot shots at the, at the church in the United States because it, it's got things so easy. It just has different battles. I, I just think we don't appreciate the battles that we have. We have different battles. What's the battle we have? We have a battle that says, man, I can, I am, I am control. I am going to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, the way I want to do it. I have all this freedom. And that freedom that we've enjoyed comes into our Christian walk. And we forget that we need God. We forget that we need Him to guide us and lead us and direct us. We make our own plans and our own agendas, don't we? And we put them all together. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to live there and I'm going to go to this school. And and we may not ever one time seek the Lord in His guidance and direction through it because of that spirit that we have within us. But He says here, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now, if you have multiple translations, the word for governing authorities is going to be a lot of different words. And I won't, uh, I won't bore you too much with the Greek word, but basically the Greek word means out of the essence. Now, does that sound like the government to you? For the, the Greek understanding of that word, the essence, it's the same phrase that they use of Jesus Christ, saying, man, He speaks with authority. Remember when the Pharisees said that to him? The concept in the Greek was the essence. God was, was this essence, this, this perfect essence from which springs all power and authority. And so when someone had that essence, it was spoken of out of the essence. It was an understanding. That whole word has an understanding built into it that whoever this person is in authority is there because of God. God put him there. Isn't that what this verse says? He says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, the higher powers, the, the people placed in authority in your life. It does not mean only your president or congressman or your local governor. This means your parents, your teachers, your husbands. It's all of it. Let every soul... Every human, every person, especially those who would call themselves a brother, be subject to the governing authorities. Man, to be subject. Huptaso. It's a, it's a Greek word that means under the authority. It's a military term. So guys who have been in the military don't have any problem with, with really the concept of submission. There was always someone in charge in the military. There was never a time when I was in the Marine Corps where we didn't have somebody who was in charge. Why? Because when you do something wrong, there's one person going to be hollered at for what you've done. We don't see submission that way. We flip it and we look at submission like, oh, it's a, it's a word of weakness. You know, it means I gotta let somebody step on me or I gotta have someone control me. No, what the word submission means is God has placed someone in authority over you to whom that person will give an account to God for how he took or she took care of you. Whether it's in a government, or whether it's in the home, that person will stand before God. And so God says, because of the responsibility that I've given them, you be in subjection to them. Not because they're so good at it. Not because they don't make mistakes or they don't do boneheaded things. You do it because God says, I put them there. And when you do it to them, 
you do it to me. That's a wholly different light, isn't it? I mean, hopefully we can, we can see that this is the concept that the Lord is laying out for us, this idea. Because it's everywhere in the Scripture, guys. It's not just here in Romans 13. Go, oh, that's one of them obscure... No, this is one of those passages that's everywhere. Every place you go, you open up the Bible, you're going to run into this. Titus 3.1. In Titus, Titus is, is written by Paul, the end of his life, uh, just prior to being beheaded by Nero. He says, remind them, the church... To be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey and be ready for every good work. He tells us servants toward masters, the, the concept, servants toward masters in Titus 2.9. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. That word obedient is the same word, subject, exact same word in the Greek. He tells the young to be subject to the old in 1 Peter 5.5. He says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, and all of you be be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's not a mark of our culture today. A mark of our culture is not to be subject to the, the old people are dumb. I don't know when it happened, but I became old and now I'm dumb. I don't know what happened. I remember when I was young and and old folks didn't know anything. And now I realize, yeah, they knew a whole lot more than, than what I thought. But God's word says it doesn't matter whether he's right or wrong. The youth are to be subject to the elder. God's word. He tells us in the same way, he says that angels are subject to Christ. He tells us that in in 1 Peter 3.22. Who has gone into heaven, Jesus, and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. They all submit. It's part of God's natural order. Wives to husbands, every wife's favorite verse, right? Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. Ephesians 5.21 tells us all believers should be submitted to one another. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. The purpose of that whole phrase is to be a sign of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. That you can be submissive, subject. Can somebody else, are we all chiefs? (laughs) Can we submit to one another? And ultimately, in James 4.7, we're to be submitted to God. James 4.7 says, Therefore, everybody forgets the first part of this verse. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Everybody remembers the other part, right? Well, you know, resist the devil. No, you skip part of it. Submit to God. Submit to Him. See, the Word of God lays out in Romans 13, verse 1, that all authority in your life is there by the hand of God. There's no room for most authority. He doesn't say all authority in your life will be good. I want you to think about 
who he's writing, what's going on in Rome at the time he's writing this. Do not put yourself in a bubble like he's writing this in the United States. He's writing this in Rome. What's going on in Rome? Six million Christians are being killed. Why are six million Christians being killed? Because the emperor has decided that he's God. And they have to declare that he's God or be uh, burned at the stake or put to death or cast into the lion's den or whatever things that they're going to do to them. Now the Christians didn't go out and pick it. They didn't go out and start an uprising. They didn't rebel. They just refused to obey the things that went against God. There's only one God, and Caesar's not him. So they simply would not take the pinch. Pinch of incense, and they're dying. That's the government. The government that he's writing about is not a government by for the people, by the people, where everybody's got it kind of together and opportunities to excel or everywhere. No, this is an oppressive government. Yet he says, God put that government there. So, be subject to it. Because in being subject to it, you are being subject to me. You are accepting my authority. That's a struggle. It's hard to say, oh God, you're the authority in this place. Because we can look at a lot of leaders that were lousy. You mean Hitler? Yeah, look, the word does not quantify. It says that God raises up kings and takes them down. He gives the people the leadership they deserve. That He is ultimately in control. God does not cease to be sovereign. Just because we have a difficulty in explaining it or understanding it. God is still sovereign in poor government. In oppressive government. And he still wants the body of Christ to be obedient. To be subject to it. Now of course, every time we read this, this this is how Americans think. And I know you guys are thinking this right now. Well, what if they tell me to do this? Okay, okay. So I always got to do the negative. Paul didn't have to do that to the Romans because they just had it. They got it. But look, everywhere in the Word, we're to be... Subject to the governing authorities as long as whatever the governing authorities is not asking me as an individual to do something against God's word. If it's not against God's word, if it's just uncomfortable for you, if it just costs you money or freedom or time, that's not a right to to carry on. If it's the president saying you will worship me as God, then you have the right to say no. But they didn't rebel. Why? Because the Lord told, uh, he, he gives it to, this, to us in this example. He tells us scripturally, for a woman who's married to a man who's an unbeliever. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? He says to that woman, he says, live in all submission. So that by your chaste conduct, your husband might be saved. He is not only talking about a relationship between men and women. He's talking about the relationship between people who are subject to the authorities over them and the witness that they can have as a result of that that submission. There was a fella who got saved. He lived kind of a wild life. And his mom had been uh, 
um, involved in, in prostitution, horrible, horrible background, drug addict, all this stuff going on. This guy comes out of that situation, he gets saved, but man, he's bitter toward his mom. Bitter toward his mom. He, and every time the opportunity comes up to tell his mom something is wrong with her, man, he's quick, man, mom. And he's like, man, my mom just needs to get saved, and she's such a, a she was a horrible mom. Horrible mom. And his pastor told him. And the Bible doesn't say, honor your father and mother if they're good to you. It says honor, period. You're not honoring your mom. You need to honor your mom. He fought it for years. But one day, he decided, you know what, I'm going to treat... My mom, like the Word of God says I'm supposed to treat her, even though she's done all these things and she's been all these bad examples and, and a lot of stuff bugs me. You know what? I'm just going to honor her. I'm gonna be, she's my mom. There's no age limit to that, by the way. She's my mom. So, he treated her like the Word of God says to honor his mom. And she got saved. Why? Because she said, man, if the Word of God can change my son's attitude toward me, it can do anything. Do you understand the power of the Word of God working in the life of a believer who really believes what he believes is real? And doesn't make a bunch of excuses and say, well, that's uncomfortable and I don't know if I really like that and I'd much rather do this or the other. Look, in the areas where the law of the land leads me to be disobedient to the Word of God, I won't do it. And if they ask me, they get to hear about it. In the meantime, I'm going to treat those in authority over me with the, with the proper respect that they deserve. In fact, Scripture is going to tell us, pay them what you owe them. And he's going to give several examples of what is owed. Two of them are, are, are about money. Two of them are about attitude. Pay what you owe. Give what you ought to give. So, he's going to lay out for us. Okay, here's what submission is. Why do we got to do it? Why do we got to do it? He tells us. Look at that verse. Verse 1 again. There is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So, who's in charge? God. So, if I say, no, 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 I'm in charge. Or I messed up. Or not enough people voted. It has nothing to do with it. God did not lose control of the United States of America. She is firmly in His hand. And He will do in her what He needs to do for more people to come to Him. And if that means hard times, bring it. If it means good times, great. Hallelujah. And that does not absolve me. You guys all heard me say this. That doesn't absolve me of me paying what is due. What do I mean? Look, I'm a big guy about vote. You don't like voting? You and me got a problem. A lot of people died so you could do that. You owe those dead people respect. Pay what is due. You vote. Well, it's not going to change nothing. So what? Be in submission to the authorities over you. Well, there's no good candidates. Okay. 
we're living in a world with all broken people. Do you think there's going to be somebody come along that ain't broke? No, they're all broke. All. All broken. Man, we want, we want to take that responsibility. But the reason God calls us to it is because it's, it's God's command. It's what He's asking. He says, this is how a life looks who is living for Christ. This is what it looks like. It's dedicated to Him. It's loving. And it's obedient. To those who are placed in authority over it. Man, that's it's a rough spot. It's a rough spot. Look, in 1 Peter 2, 13-16, it says this. <clears throat> just in case we haven't heard it enough places yet. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to the governors, or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. Did you catch that? This is the will of God. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man. Well, that's hard. My right foot does not ever want to submit. But Rusty wrote me so many tickets when I got here, it learned to submit. <laughs> it can be learnt. <laughs> now, I see him, I'm just walking and I see him and I slow down. <laughs> we want to be obedient to the ordinance of man. So what is the purpose of government? Because the Bible tells us what the purpose of government is. Why is it here? What's it, what's it supposed to accomplish for us? And the point of it is not that... I, I don't necessarily believe there's really two views, and I'm not going to give them both to you, but I'll, I'll tell you quickly the one I don't hold to is the idea that, that man's broken, we're fallen, and that's why we need government. God has organization all the way through heaven. Uh, we see organization with the angels. We see... Uh, uh, a hierarchy of angels, we see it in Ephesians chapter 6. So, so the concept that there is authority is seen in the Trinity. The Father has authority over the Son. Not different in nature or being, but He has authority. It's not a change in essence, it's just a, a position. It's not, the, the concept is, is that, that this is part of God's purpose. This is how we work. This is how we function. So what's the purpose? The purpose is to protect human life. That's the first time government comes up is in Genesis 9.6. It says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he created man. When we look at that, in Genesis 9.6, here's the big argument against capital punishment. Well, it's not a deterrent. Nowhere did it say it was a deterrent. You know who it's a deterrent for? The guy who did it. He won't do it again. The, the, the fellow watching, it might not make a bit of difference to him. But if we did this, for the most part, a fellow would only get one chance to commit murder. Not ten. And it'd be over. The first purpose of government, protect human life. To protect personal and, and, and property rights. In Exodus twenty seventeen, listen to the law. It says, you will not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that's your neighbor's. It's a protection of, of personal rights and, and personal property. But right there written in the law, the concept of government. It's, it's also there to handle our disputes. In Deuteronomy 
Deuteronomy chapter 1, it says uh, in verse 16 and 17, And I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your brethren, and judge righteously between a man and his brother, or the stranger who is with him. And you will not show partiality in judgment, and you will hear the small as well as the great, and you will not be afraid of any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. Government is to decide the disputes between men. This is God's design. This is God's design. And ultimately to punish those who do evil. We're going to see it in a moment in Romans 13.4. It's also in Deuteronomy 17.2-7. But in Romans 13.4 it's a little more succinct. It says, For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. That's the purpose of human government. The way the Word of God lays it out. And because that's the purpose, whether or not they do it well or not, God wants us to respect the office, the position, the authority. And that office, position, or authority does not matter, folks, whether it is in the home, or in the school, or in your job. If you're living a dedicated Christian life, and in all those three places, we should see you living your life in subjection to the authority that God's placed over you. But that's not always the case these days. We tend to want to fight against that. We tend to want to fight against it. Let's look back at Romans 13 verse 2. It says, Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinances of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Are you paying attention to what he's saying? If you resist... You are resisting the ordinances of God, the movement of God, the plan and purpose of God, the will of God. So be obedient to the authority placed over you. There would not be a bunch of buildings burning and people riding in the streets if young men just listened. If they were taught by parents and teachers to submit to the authority above them. Whether that authority is right or wrong, doesn't matter. When the guy holding the gun in the club says, stop and lay down, don't hit him. Well, I have a right to. Well, you do have a right to be a knucklehead. And when all the craziness ensues... You realize all that craziness, we've been watching on the news for the last couple of weeks. All that craziness is what happened when one man wouldn't submit to the authority over him. Right or wrong. Doesn't make any difference. He wouldn't submit to the authority over him and, and this is what's happening. Now you have multitudes and multitudes of people who won't, right? It's an attitude. It's a brokenness. Can I pass a law to change that? No. How do you change a heart of man? Jesus Christ comes into that heart. And when Jesus Christ comes into that heart, He tells me, Jackie, you be subject to the authorities over you, good, bad, or ugly. And I live my life that way. People see the change of God lived out in the life of a believer instead of a poor example of someone living their life for Christ. They see someone living according to God's Word, what God's Word says, this is how we ought to be. And instead of a bad taste in folks' mouths about the hypocrisy of Christianity, the pointing and not doing, you have the opposite. The doing and not pointing. 
And lives are being changed. People are are recognizing the true power of Christ. He says in verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to those who resist, they will bring judgment on themselves. I'm sorry, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Do what is good. Do what is right. Then he says this, for he is God's minister. Who? That person in authority over you. What if he's not a believer? Not a requirement. Literally, the word here is deacon. He is God's deacon. He is God's servant in your life. That boss, it drives you crazy. That, that, that person, at, uh, uh, that, whomever, that has authority over you. He is God's minister. And He's responsible. Listen to what He says. He's God's minister to you for good. God put Him there to do those things we talked about. To watch over and keep your life. Now, here's the part you need to understand. God will have words with Him about how He led. That's not your job. God will have words with you about how you submitted. Straight line. He is God's minister, God's deacon, God's servant. To do good. If you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He will bear the sword. The sword is a part of of what he has. He has the ability through coercion or commendation to effect change in your attitude. Coercion is bringing of the sword. Judgment. Commendation, doing good things for those who do good things. To effect change in life. Both are, are in His disposal, for He is God's minister. An avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Remember the idea, an avenger to execute wrath. This is not a, a thumios. This is not a sudden flash of anger. This is orge. Predisposed judgment of God. If you do this, this happens. If you speed, you get a ticket. You got no right to be, have a bad attitude when you get a ticket. You got pulled over for speeding, you're speeding. You get a ticket. Suck it up. Take the ticket. Stop speeding, you won't get one. You don't got the right to sit there with your little Jesus sticker on the back of your car and, and rip the, the uh, uh, officer up one side and down the other for why aren't you finding a bank robber? Somebody's robbing a bank right now and you're pulling me over. Be subject to the authority over you. This is what a dedicated servant of God looks like. Well, I didn't realize there were verses like that in the Bible. Got to be careful. You start reading it, then you're responsible for it. And everybody who's here today, man, it's too bad, sorry. (laughs) I told you. Now you're on the hook. Let's look at Romans 13.5. But he says, Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Not only because of what can happen, the judgment, the sword, the commendation, but he, he points to conscience. He says, the, the awareness in you 
of right and wrong. God told us all the way back in Romans chapter 2, He put this in every man, woman, and child. They have this conscience in them that gives them a comprehension of right from wrong. Now you can sear it, you can ruin it, you can make it so it don't work. But the Lord here, especially talking to believers, says, you know what's right and you know what's wrong. You know, if you were cranky at Black Friday and you, and you give the lady at the register a bad time over whatever Barbie you had to rip out of the hands of somebody else for your, for your granddaughter, you know it was wrong. Don't do it. Don't do it. Be subjected to those who are over you. So that's our subjection over the law. And the next couple of verses, 6 and 7, talk about our support of the law. This one you're not going to like any better than you like the last one. I'm just telling you ahead of time. For because of this, because of your subjection to the law, because of you being submitted to the authorities over you, pay your taxes. Oh, come on. Tell me that's not in there. Sorry, man. Because of this also, pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. You know, in the, in the English, you don't catch us. So let me tell you it in the Greek. He says, in essence, that word minister there is not deacon. It's not diakonos. It's the word from which we get the, lear, the word liturgical or the liturgy. In, in English, it's the idea of someone who is very specifically fulfilling a service for God. Earlier he said, hey, you be in subjection to these guys because they're God's servants, His deacons, doing the things that God wants them to do. But now he very specifically uses a word that traditionally is only used to priests. He says, they're His ministers. Lutreos. And because they are full-time ministers, same thing he's going to teach about pastors, ministers, full-time in ministry in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, pay what is due. The word taxes isn't there. Just pay what's due. We define that today by taxes. That's how he gets paid, right? Pay what is due. Pay your taxes. You know, Jesus taught on this, and we, we often don't like to go to it, and everybody knows it, right? Where am I going to go? The Pharisees are, are busting Jesus' chops, and they say, should we pay taxes or not? you got an oppressive government over a Jewish community who's oppressing them, not doing things right, they're not on the up and up. He says, they come to Jesus to try to trap Him, and Jesus said to them, what do He say? Matthew 22, He says, give me the coin. Whose image is on this coin? So then he says, Oh, you guys are so good. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Don't forget the next part. Now, whose image is imprinted on you? God's image, right? You are created in the image of God. So the coin, the image on the coin, that goes to Caesar. But your life, that belongs to God. You give Caesar what belongs to him. Don't hold so tight to money. But you give God what belongs to Him. That's you. That's what Jesus said. So He's telling us here in, in uh, Romans thirteen six, 
in verse 7 he says, Render therefore to all their due. Everyone who's in authority to you. He's not just talking about government officials. To your teachers, to wives, to your husbands, uh, husbands to your bosses. Uh, anybody who has authority in your life, render to them what is due. Two of the things he's going to talk about deal with money. The first one he says, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs are due. Both of those words are basically the same thing. They bring up the idea of paying what you owe. Pay what you owe. He didn't say pay more than what you owe. He just said pay what you owe. If you owe, if you owe taxes, pay the taxes. If you owe customs, pay the customs. Pay what you got to pay. I don't like it. I don't like it either. But they get too much. I agree. None of that changes whether or not I get to be obedient. But the founding fathers did not want us to pay taxes. Well, if the founding fathers are presidents, then they can repeal it. But as long as the law of the land says we pay taxes, we pay taxes. I promise I'm going to get a letter from that. I guarantee it. There is an email coming. Somebody's already writing down the email address. I'm going to tell him what I think about paying taxes. I don't got to pay no taxes. Then we go back to the beginning. Submission to the law. But the support of the law, we pay what's due. Look at the second two. Fear to whom fear is due, honor to whom honor is due. What are those two? Those two are basically the same thing. Fear and honor. It's respect. It's giving to someone the attitude they deserve. Giving to someone the attitude they deserve. A respectful attitude, an honoring attitude. Giving to someone the money that they're due. Whatever the law says in regard to taxes. Give them Whoever's imprints on that, you give it to them. And this is how you and I, this is one of the ways you and I submit ourselves to God. This is how we submit to Him. This is how God is calling us. He wants us to do these things. So we see the submission to the law. We see the support of the law. The last thing we're going to talk about um, as we look at it is the satisfaction of the law. really makes all the other stuff easy if you let it he says in verse 8 owe no one anything except to love one another you ever heard people use this for not having debt makes me scratch my head so uh, I'm not going to say having debt's a good thing but this verse is not talking about debt at all he just finished telling us owe what's due Money to money, attitude for attitude, right? So he's not just talking about a a money issue. What he's talking about is what you're responsible to give to everyone on earth. What you're responsible to pay to everyone on earth is that you love one another. He just talked about that in chapter 12. That we have an attitude of love. That's hard. I don't know about you guys. I'm one of those guys who wakes up every day on the wrong side of the bed. There's not a right side of the bed for me. It's my cross to bear, or Kathy's, one or the other. <laughs> Kathy is always happy. I'm always cranky. All the time. Anybody who knows me will say, yeah, that's true. That's true. I try to make my crankiness funny by being sarcastic, but I don't always pull it off. <laughs> oh, no one anything except to love one another. We have to bring those things 
under control, that we can have love. Because love, love satisfies God's requirement. Love will pay. Love will submit. Love will honor. Love will respect. It's what love does. In verse 9 he says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this, you will love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> so Paul sums up all the commandments. Love respects all the rights of others. The right uh, of in marriage, the right in life, and property, and truth, and ownership. Love respects it all. Because Romans 13.10 says, Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So we see that we're subject to God's ordinance. How are we subject to God's ordinance? We are subject to them to humbly obey. To be submitted or subjected under the authority of those whom God has placed over us. And all authority has been placed over us in our lives by God. So... Be submitted into that authority. We support it by paying what's due. Taxes to whom taxes is due. Good attitude to whom good attitude is due. Respect for respect. Honor to honor. That's how we support the law. This is the life of a man or woman dedicated to Christ. According to Romans chapter 13. And finally, we satisfy the requirement by loving. Man, you know what Jesus said? They're going to know that you belong to me by how you love each other. Not by what, what you stand for or shout about in the street. Jesus didn't say to that, to that woman, He didn't say if you're married to a, a man that's an unbeliever, yell at him every day. He said, Be in all submission to Him. So that by your conduct, He might be one to Christ. But how do I do that? That's how we're to live our faith out. We don't live our faith out by being the loudest guy on the block. We live our faith out by being real. By really believing what the Word says and really applying what the Word says into my life. Now I gotta stop making excuses where it's a struggle for me, and I gotta start in the power of the Holy Spirit trying to move forward. I gotta move through Him. Man, the exciting things about Romans justification, sanctification, glorification should be lived out in your life. By the way, we love each other in Romans 12, and by the way, we submit to authority in Romans 13. And we're not done yet. There's two more chapters. If you got toes left, I'll step on them next week. <laughs> this is the call of God. This is the practical of what it ought to look like in our life. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank You for the opportunity we have to study Your Word, to open Your Word, and to come before You, God. And there's, there are things in Your Word that Your Word challenges us to, God, that You want us to, to live by. And God, I just think, man, there's so many areas in our life. I, I just don't want to focus in so tightly on one thing. I just want that idea of 
being submitted to all those who are placed in authority over me. To have that attitude honors God. You didn't say if they do it right. You just said to do it. Should the time ever come, God, when the governing authorities invite me to do that which is in disobedience to your word, then I'll answer like the apostles in Acts chapter 4. Whether it is right for me to obey you or God, you decide. But as for me, I cannot stop preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would allow the attitudes that you want us to have to come in, that we would uh, exercise the self-do-itness, the, the attitudes that I am able and, and I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps and I can do it all and God helps those who help themselves. None of that comes from you. And that we learn to live in subjection to those over us, that the attitudes that we have toward our leadership may help change our leadership. That we might be the men and women that you're calling us to be. That wives would be the the wives you're asking them to be in the marital relationship. That husbands would be the husbands you're asking them to be in the marriage relationship. That that children would be the children they're supposed to be in the, the, the relationship within the family. That students to their teachers, employees to their employers, and the scope is so wide. God, I just pray that we would recognize that that authority in our life, wherever we're at, is placed there by you. And so I, I pray that we would respond, that we would respond the way you would have us respond, in humility esteeming others as greater than ourselves, loving, following, being the best employee we can be, being the best student we can be, being the best teacher or husband or wife that we can be. Because in all of those things, we honor God when we follow what He has decreed in His Word. God, I pray that You would be glorified as we, your church, live out the truth. Not about what we know, how many verses we can quote. You can quote all the verses, but if we're not doing them, what good is it? God, I pray that you would give us the attitude of obedience. That we would be hyper hearers. Not those who hear and don't do but those who respond to the power of your word in our life. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would equip us for every good work that you have called us to and that you would be glorified in it all. In Jesus' name, amen.